And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Thursday edition of Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC College Football Podcast. It's Thursday, which means I'm your host, David Ubbin, joined, as always, on Thursdays by my co-host, Mitch Light. Mitch, uh, more bad news across the SEC. Georgia and Missouri are not playing. That means the SEC had seven games scheduled for Saturday. Only three of those are going to be played, and one of them features uh, an interim coach, Barry Odom, because the head coach tested positive for COVID-19. I don't have a whole lot more to say than I said on uh, Wednesday's show. It's sort of big picture on where this all stands, and you know, as you're seeing the numbers continue to rise uh, across the country, I don't think it's a coincidence that that is uh, corresponding with the issues that the Big 12, or that the SEC is having with... Um, Trying to pull off a season. Where, where do you stand on all this? Yeah, not great, obviously. And I, I kind of went into the season when it looked for a while like we weren't going to have a season, um, even though the SEC has always maintained that it was never not going to have a season. But that, that weekend when the MAC canceled and the Big Ten and yeah. it just looked like we weren't going to have anything, I kind of told myself, let's just appreciate what we have. We know there's going to be some setbacks. It's going to be a weird season. We might have certain teams play X amount of games and other teams play more. That's all good and well in August when you're telling yourself that. But once the season starts, and you, especially in the SEC, and you, we would we go like three, four, five weeks without any cancellations, maybe just three mm-hmm. weeks, you say, okay, we can do this. And then, then you get these setbacks, and then you get, ah, oh, this stinks. But I'm so I'm, my point is I'm reverting back to August self. Yeah. And just saying, you know what? This stinks. I feel bad for everyone involved. But let's just – it is what it is. We're going to make the best of this season. If there's a weird champion, if or, you know, or not going to be a weird champion. It's going to be a really good team. But if there's a weird season where one team plays five games and one team plays – or one team plays seven, one team plays nine or whatever, it's so be it. And, you know, hopefully we're back to 100% normal in 2021 and we're just going to look back at this as a really awful and strange year and say, wow, we, we actually managed to play a semi – relevant college football season yeah well on today's show we're looking at the best uh skill position guys that that we have seen in our careers now what is the criteria is this people we've seen in person is this yes. people we've covered okay people we've seen in person okay See, it's people we've seen in person where okay. you're just at the time you're like wow that guy's pretty good like you just you know we're not I'm not an NFL evaluator. I, I can look at a guy and say, yeah. that guy's pretty fast. I watch him cut through, burst through a hole. Now, um, I have the benefit, I will say, uh, for seven years, seven and a half years, I was the sideline reporter uh, at, at Vanderbilt. So, and one of the cool things about that job is being field level. 
Mm-hmm. And that's you, you really certain things you can see better from a press box and on TV and certain things you can see better from the field. The one position, David, that I noticed the difference being on the field is wide receivers. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe because they're lined up on the end and they're right they're they're six or seven feet from me when I'm standing there on the sideline. But you can appreciate how good, fast, strong some of these guys are. And I'm going to start at the wide receiver position for okay. me. And I'm going to pat myself on the back for a scouting report. That I, <laughs> I, 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 after I saw Vanderbilt play at Ole Miss a couple of years ago, three, four years ago, I told friends or anybody who would listen to me that A.J. Brown, you know, I, I started watching SEC football in, in, in 1990 in college, but A.J. Brown was the most physically impressive wide receiver I'd seen in person. And mm-hmm. now I, I, I did not see some of the – I haven't seen Alabama play in person. I saw him one time when they came up to Vanderbilt in 2017. Now I saw him in the 90s. but So I haven't seen any of this run of great Alabama receivers in person like you have covering Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But I say A.J. Brown is the best wide receiver I've seen in person at the collegiate level. Yeah. I think at the, rec- at the receiver spot, you know, I may lean – some of my examples are, are more from the Big 12 side of things because I have covered it. But I think if I was looking in the SEC or looking at people that I've watched, I, I think Amari Cooper would probably be up there for me uh, in terms of a college receiver. Um, he's been good in the NFL. He hasn't been dominant in the NFL. But in college, I just remember seeing how physically imposing he was and how, how good he was. I think for me, in terms of guys that I've covered, I would probably lean uh, Justin Blackman. I think oh, good, good one. You know, again, did not work out in the NFL for a host of reasons. <laughs> but you watch him in college, you couldn't tackle him. He couldn't you couldn't cover him. Uh he'd run by you. He'd jump over you. Uh just he did everything that you needed a receiver to get and you know that that Fiesta Bowl game uh you know against Andrew Luck and Stanford. I covered that one in person. I was around that Oklahoma State team a lot. Justin Blackman, an unbelievable player, but I think you look at uh, you know across the SEC, who are the guys that who are the guys that we are shorting at this point besides the, the, Amari Cooper? There's a couple. I have a couple for each of these categories. I have some honorable mention. Yes, um, and, and real quick on AJ Brown, there's one play in particular that he made at, at Vanderbilt two years ago or three years ago, where he caught a little quick slant pass at his own 10 or 15-yard line and just took one cut and just sliced through the secondary. Now, you could say Vanderbilt doesn't have the best athletes in the SEC. I don't care. I've seen him do it at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. It just that burst he showed. So I wrote down two guys, Mike Evans mm-hmm. uh, at Texas A&M. Freak. <laughs> and then Jordan Matthews, not an athletic freak, but as far as a, a Vanderbilt's the all-time leading receiver, I think still in the SEC, as mm-hmm. far as like a technician and getting open and just everyone knowing the ball was coming to him. Yeah. And he still got open. I think he had 123 receptions his senior year. And a nice uh, NFL a, career, too. He yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did. He did. Nice NFL career. He's actually back at Vanderbilt as a volunteer assistant this year. So, um, again, I I don't have any of those, these, you know, the, the Jerry Judys, these great Alabama guys, because I never saw him in person. Uh, but there's been, there's been some good ones. And DK Metcalf is – Bruce Feldman has a story at The Athletic today – on his exports in college, he's he's one of those guys who's who's a better pro than he was in college. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Judy, I think probably deserves some love. This run of Alabama receivers is unbelievable. It feels like every year. I mean, you're seeing it again this year. You know, John Menchie, you're like a little bit more development with him. He's gonna be he's gonna be pretty special. They already have Devontae Smith. We know you know him. That's that's unbelievable. So at running back, guys that I've seen in person, I'm gonna say Adrian Peterson. Unfortunate, the injury situation with him, but man, <laughs> just like 
unbelievable unbelievable in every way uh just running over people the speed you know i think he uh, he looks uh, it was like a more violent derrick henry in college i think uh i think derrick henry is one of those guys i think is probably better in the nfl than he was in college like he was a freak in college but he was never like no one can stop this guy and part of that was because they never really forced him the ball he came to alabama when they were throwing it a little bit more that was part of it, I think. But, uh, man, I think the violence with which Adrian Peterson ran, I wish he could have stayed healthy. I suspect that violence is a reason why he might not have stayed healthy. But I just haven't – I hadn't seen anybody that combined that sort of power and strength. Uh, what about yourself? Yeah, um, Nick Chubb at, mm-hmm. at Georgia. And uh, Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley is kind of my honorable mentions. It's just been some great – Georgia running backs and I I don't know if this guy was that awesome but I remember in college watching or maybe he was after college watching Rodney Hampton at Georgia and just seemingly he was awesome I I'd want to ask a Georgia person where Hampton stacks up against some of the great Georgia running backs but this is a, a funny little story from uh, about how good Nick Chubb was uh, I remember someone asked uh, Derek Mason when before the NFL draft about Zach Cunningham when he knew he was really good he goes well, as a sophomore, he was—he wasn't starting for us, but I saw him tackle Nick Chubb one-on-one in the open field, and I said that—that—that <laughs> that, that, that dude can play. Um, so, yeah. But George, an incredible run of of great athletes. One of the most physically impressive athletes I've seen, real up close though, is Tyson Chandler at mm-hmm. Tennessee in high school. My daughter's probably a couple years younger, but Chandler's from Nashville and went to a school a rival high school of my daughter's and and it was just a it was a track and field city championships and Chandler went to Montgomery Bell here in Nashville and I saw him run hurdles or something like that and he was that I mean just talk about I mean again it was against high school athletes but big strong fast just a really good looking athlete I think some guys were shorting here at least I've seen Darren McFadden on yeah, the list. I never saw. I, do you ever see him? I never saw yes, him in person. Multiple times. Growing up in Arkansas, we'll, we'll do oh, that yeah. for you. Uh, I did not see Marcus Lattimore in person, but he's probably no. He's on, good. I, he's probably. I, sh- on I have seen him. Yeah, he should have been on there. What about Cadillac? I don't think I ever saw him during okay. those great those those Auburn teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in, in teaming with Ronnie Brown, mm-hmm. just among among the best duos we've seen in the SEC. Yeah. They were all, I mean, the, the the SEC, a lot of times, you know, we've seen those running backs come through, and for a good portion, that was almost the dominant position there. And then uh, now it seems like it's receiver. You know, you look at all the guys right. that they've been churning out. It is wild, like, the amount of receiver talent the SEC has churned out in the last decade. Right. It, and one thing we talk about these duos is there's a lot of great, you can't just go by like list of all-time leading rushers in the SEC because so many guys played on really good teams that they had to wait their turn mm-hmm. the Georgia guys even at Tennessee like wasn't um uh who, who's the kid who transferred to, to Baylor to play wide receiver Jalen uh, uh Jalen uh her Jalen Hurd yes yeah like for a while he was among on pace to become Tennessee's all-time leading rusher but it was more a product because he played as a freshman when most of the greats at that school didn't mm-hmm. play didn't start until their sophomore or junior year and they left early so some of the really best players in the sec history were only the feature back yeah. for uh, a couple years and uh we're missing some tennessee guys during the late 90s uh jamal lewis i saw him in person was a you know just a fantastic back travis henry so you're, you're right it went from a running back league to a basically a wide receiver league recently mm-hmm. 
at the quarterback spot, you know, obviously well, you've got Matt, you've got Mac Jones number one. Clearly. <laughs> I do. You know, I've seen I, I covering the Big Twelve. I saw a lot of great quarterbacks, but for me, I think it comes down to two, and I I won't belabor them because they didn't play in the SEC. But I do have some SEC quarterbacks. But Sam Bradford's accuracy was something I haven't seen before, and having that that was like the first like superpower offense of the spread era that we've really ever seen that's just scoring 60 every single week. And, you know, I don't think the Big 12's defenses had caught up to it just yet and didn't really understand how to cover the spread in in some ways, and that was part of it. But, man, uh, he didn't have, like, crazy weapons. It was like Manny Iglesias. uh, I'm trying to remember if – I think a young Broyles was playing with him, if I'm not mistaken. But he didn't have these crazy targets, but he was putting up wild numbers, and, of course, he had DeMarco Murray in his backfield. And then – a different kind of player, but RG3 was an unbelievable college player. I mean, he started out as just sort of entertaining, and then he became dominant when he came back from that knee injury. And, uh, you know, just a, a guy that could do everything for you. And then, of course, on top of that, the athlete, and then just a compelling guy to watch on the field. I mean, think about the idea of winning a Heisman Trophy and a Big 12 championship at Baylor. Like... That's not really possible. I guess he didn't know Bruce Petty won the Big Twelve at Baylor, but he still helped Baylor become a power. If I'm not yeah, he mistaken. was the first. He was the first guy. It was like, okay, Baylor's actually yeah, good because exactly. As a little tangent, like I started at Athlon Sports in 2001, and that's when I really started following national college football. And people go look and see how bad Baylor was for about five, <laughs> six, seven years. I mean, yeah. like epic, like they made Kansas look competitive, like just epic beatdowns, like 56 to six, 58 to nothing. Like yeah. all, so it was just, it was staggering for someone like me who kind of followed national college football, like Baylor, they're good. So we look at, we look at the modern era. You have Cam, you have Tebow, certainly a little bit older. Uh, you have Peyton, Who's who's your guy, and is there anybody that we are are shorting here? Okay, I've maintained this since I saw him one time in 1996, Danny Werfel. Uh, just the most accurate. You talk about just putting the ball where it needs to be. I just remember watching some throws to some mm-hmm. of those great Florida. Now they're great Florida receivers, but just the over the shoulder, just placing it in that you know in the window exactly where it needed to go. So I've always maintained that that. Uh, Warfel was the best college quarterback I've ever seen. Then I've got a five-man honorable mention. <laughs> Let's hear it. Joe, Joe Burrow. Yes. So I'm last year. It was just, just fantastic. Tim Tebow, fun to watch. Uh, and, you know, great great college quarterback. Um, you know, didn't do it all with his arm, obviously. Uh, Peyton Manning, can't not have him on the list. Matthew Stafford for just being a prototypical, wow, that dude's going to play in the NFL. Yeah. And then I'll say Jay Cutler, his senior year, with not a good supporting cast, just had a great senior year, and just again, sort of like Stafford, the look of a you know six foot four yeah. cannon, put the ball where it needed to go. So I'm sure I'm missing some. Um, didn't you know? Didn't, didn't see again. Go back to Alabama. Didn't see a lot of the uh, Alabama guys. I will say I saw Tua in a reserve role up here in Nashville when they pounded Vanderbilt, and you could just tell he was. This was his freshman year. And yeah. He just he he looked. Jalen Hurts was good. Tua was special. You could just tell when he came on the field. How I must say, himself. having watched uh, a little bit of Bryce Young against Tennessee, uh, I get similar feels. Uh, we'll see. Really? Uh, here, here's my question: Are we? Are, is it too mean 
to Joe Burrow to say the combination of Joe Brady and his receivers. I, I love what Joe Burrow's done in the NFL. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. But historically, when you look at what he had around him, it, it makes me devalue him a little bit. And that might not be fair to him, but that's just where I land on it because I watched that offense quite a bit last year. And he was he made some unbelievable throws. He did some great things. But Jamar Chase, Jefferson. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running yeah, the ball. Yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running the ball. Joe Brady running the show. I just obviously he had a fantastic season but i i feel like there were so many other hands in the pot that were that were stirring that that i don't see him as like an all-time great numbers unimpeachable one of the best seasons we've ever seen but i just don't i don't necessarily view him in that same and maybe 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 that's cuz he only had one really great season yeah that's but part of it i don't view him as like a as like a, a generational quarterback in the sec Right, I don't think I think that's fair point, especially when he wasn't great his junior year. Yeah, um, that's kind of sometimes where I struggle with my Werfel. Like, first of all, it's twenty years ago, and like, or more than that, do I do I really remember that? And he had a, those Florida offenses were unbelievable. The receivers, running backs, you know, they were revolutionizing SEC football. Mm-hmm. So I think it's difficult. It's you know, I, I poke fun of you, but it's the Mac Jones argument. You know, when you've got receivers open all over the place, and you got a great running game, great offensive line. Um, that's why I think Kyle Trask is having such a great year because this is a good, from a personnel standpoint, this is a good Florida team. It is not an elite Florida offensive team. They, they lost, or from personnel, weighing against like what LSU and Alabama have been. They lost three receivers to the NFL. Now Pitts has made the emer- the jump from you know great to elite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, he, he's putting the ball where it needs to go. And I think if you're judging by surrounding cat, supporting casts, Kyle Trask is not nearly as good as some of the great SEC offenses we've seen in the past five years. Yeah, I think so. We'll see. I think it's um, certainly we're turning in the we're turning in the direction of the SEC, and I think too, you know, just historically, I think some of the great players that played in spread offenses in the early two thousands were devalued. But I think it's because the NFL was so rigid and refused to innovate and change their offenses a little bit. If Patrick Mahomes came through the NFL in 2003, it's a different story. It's just different. He'd have the same skills. He'd have the same things. He wouldn't be as good. People would view him in a very different way. That's just what it is. And I think you could say the same thing about a lot of guys um, that came through those spread offenses early. And it's it's tough to know because so many of them, they're, you know, and Warfel certainly in some, in some ways um, was victimized by this. But there's so many guys that – their careers are almost devalued in college because they didn't have great pro careers. And I think in some ways the NFL structure is to blame for that more than the player itself. Um, so that's where I land on that. <laughs> I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I mean, it's tough to, you know, that's well, one of the reasons why quarterback drafting quarterback is so difficult too. Yeah. evaluating, you know, personnel and, you know, I saw Dane Brugler, our draft guy at the athletic has Mac Jones climbing up the board, you know, what if Mac Jones was playing at Kentucky and yeah. didn't have the personnel he has at Alabama? Would he be considered as much of a prospect? I don't know, but my guess is he and can probably you, wouldn't can be. Can you adjust at the college level and at the NFL level? Can you adjust 
to what your quarterback does well? Can you change your offense from year to year um, to do what he likes, to, to maximize what that guy can do? Um, we see that all the time. I mean, I think, you know, the best example right now is probably Eddie Grand with what he did with Lynn Bowden last year at Kentucky. Yes. Like, that was ridiculous. Like, everyone in the whole building knows exactly what's coming every single play, and it still worked. Uh, that was a really tough thing to do. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. I, I you know, they're struggling this, this year big time offensively, but mm-hmm. I, I've always been a big fan of Eddie Grant because of what they've been able to do with different quarterbacks and, and bring some guys along. So let's, uh, uh, let's take advantage real quick here, David, of actually talking about the three games that are still on the schedule. Yes. We'll go, we'll go through them quickly because we don't want to spend too much time on games that might not happen. <laughs> and, um, I guess Arkansas, Florida, the marquee game of the weekend now. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I think any game is a marquee game right now, right? I think it. I think my question is, how high can can Arkansas climb? Do they put a scare into Florida here? You know, Arkansas, their strength is stopping the pass, and Kentucky wants to throw it around. I mean, uh, Florida wants to throw it around a little bit, and uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup. I I think Arkansas can keep that close, but I, I really want to see. Like, how good can this Arkansas team be? Um, because they've been sort of a Cinderella story, and people were kind of waiting for it to strike midnight. But I said, you know, when we were talking about A&M a couple weeks ago in that game, I don't think there's a, there's a you know, a midnight coming. You know, I think this is just a team that I think we grossly underestimated how poorly utilized they were, you know, in 2019 and 2018. Yeah, and they, they deserve credit for a lot of things this year. You could argue that the Tennessee game is maybe their shining moment. You know, mm-hmm. they lose to A&M, they come home, they're down 13 nothing. I didn't really watch too much of the first half. I watched mm-hmm. more of the second half. You were there. There's a lot of running and a lot of uh, yeah. Arkansas getting pushed around. <laughs> right, yeah, they were kind of lifeless, and, and then they just turn it on, they dominate the second half. So it's like they're, they're, they're finding different ways to win games, getting off to good starts, getting off second half, good second half performances. Yeah. I just I really like this Florida offense. Now, Kyle Pitts is questionable. He's still in concussion protocol. But the one thing that really – well, there are a lot of things to like, obviously, from Florida's last week performance last week. But they had been doing everything with Kadarius uh, Tony and Kyle Pitts. Well, mm-hmm. last week they did a lot of stuff without those two guys. Now, only yeah. 42 yards to Tony. The second half they were great after Pitts went down with his injury. So the running game still hasn't been overly productive. They're still not getting a lot when just handing it off to the tailback. Um but I just this this offense has been so good, and they're showing some stuff defensively. The third down defense was good against Georgia. That they were mm-hmm. really good against Missouri as well. So if, if they're turning the corner defensively, combined with what they have offensively, so I, I like Florida comfortably. Not not. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying we're going to look up at halftime. It's thirty-one to ten, but I think they win this game comfortably. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Um, what is our next game? Vanderbilt at Kentucky, which right now is the 11 a.m. There's a lot of jokes in these parts. That, you know, <laughs> what, what needs to happen for this to become the CBS game? But yeah. I think CBS has already said they're not uh, they're not televising a game. I, I'll tell you, it was off the radar last week, but I'm going to give the, the mighty Commodores some credit. They, they they lost the game. They turned it over five times, but they were very good offensively for the first time this year. Showed some signs uh, of life, I thought. Yeah, they they outgained. They had they doubled up Mississippi State's yardage. Mississippi State punted seven straight possessions at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vanderbilt just turned the ball over. Ken Seals, when you have a true freshman quarterback, you're going to get some 
some good stuff, and you're going to have some bad turnovers, and the bad turnovers cost them the game. So, I mean, I'd still pick Kentucky to win this game. They've been very good defensively, but I think there's signs of life for the first time at Vanderbilt since that opener against Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. What is our last one? It is the South Carolina, the struggling South Carolina Gamecocks at the always entertaining Ole Miss uh, Rebels. And the interesting thing about this game from a South Carolina standpoint, with the heat on Will Muschamp, that staff has opened it up in practice week this week, the quarterback competition between Colin Hill, Ryan Holinsky, that started last year, obviously, and then freshman dual threat Luke Doty. So um, this is a... Interesting game, I guess, because it's a game on the schedule, but I don't know what else, more else there is to say about this one. Uh, I think what I have to say is this is a rough schedule. <laughs> go, <laughs> go, uh, maybe, uh, you know, pandemic, a, a very rude week. Uh, I think it's just, you know, it's going to be, I think Saturday you start looking across the SEC, it's going to be uh, sort of a stark realization of, of kind of where things stand that – this is the slate that is that has remained. Uh, no Alabama, LSU. No uh, what Auburn and Mississippi State, right? No Georgia, uh, Missouri. No yeah. Georgia, Missouri. Obviously Tennessee and Texas A and M. Yeah. Hey, well, before we move, before we get out be of here, thankful David, for I wanna, what we have. Yes. Yeah. Before we get out of here, I want to ask you something. You had a story. I'd like to say it's an interesting story. I'm sure it is an interesting story. I plan on reading it soon. <laughs> but the headline got me because I I like recruiting and I'm into like r- weird recruiting pipelines. Like why do certain kids go to certain schools? And you have a story yeah. today in The Athletic about Tennessee's – I think you called it a mini pipeline from Maryland. Well, it's only three guys for now. That's the issue. So is but, that a pipeline or not? It's three a pipeline? Well, it's it's a mini pipeline. It's a, it's a straw. <laughs> we'll call it a straw. <laughs> But no, uh, so St. Francis Academy, Biff Pogey is an interesting coach. He was on Jim Harbaugh's staff. He helped uh, create a, a private school power in the Baltimore area for 20 years and then sort of rebuilt this St. Francis team. And, you know, you can recruit, and he's brought in some uh, a bunch of really talented players. And for three years, you know, the first three years in the program, they had every single guy get a football scholarship. And, I mean, so they the HBO did a documentary on this, uh, on this team that – you know, has a bunch of five stars, a bunch of four stars, and uh, you know they had some Alabama guys. Uh, Demon Clowney, Jadavion Clowney's uh, cousin, was on this team, uh, and then of course Tennessee signed a, a player last year in Dom Bailey, and then has two commits from that team this year in Aaron Willis and Katron Evans, and uh, it's just a school in the middle of Baltimore, literally a prison in the backyard. They don't have really, they don't have their own stadium. They don't really have a practice field. They move around to parks and stuff, but they're you know, playing in this national schedule and the coach is financing it himself um, because he made a bunch of money and he still does as an investment fund manager. And so he just, this is what he wants to do. And it is, it is fascinating. So I'd encourage you guys to check it out. So yeah, sounds good. Well, that'll do it for today's show. Everybody again, subscribe to our show. Thanks for uh, leaving us say, or subscribing. If you have not already, you should do that. You can have it delivered to your device. Leave us a rating or review. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com backslash grits. So check us out the rest of the week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again very, very soon. (laughs) 